Good morning. I'm Kimberly. (laughs) Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. It is page 1006 in the Bibles in the back of the pews. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is God's word. Well, who cares? That's what it says. Who cares? What are we getting at here? Well, we're getting at whose responsibility is it to care? Who will provide the care that is needed? It kind of has that snarky feel, right? Like, who cares? No, it's who cares. It's, it's a question with emphasis, Who will be there for and walk with someone through the good times and the bad times? Who's it going to be? Among the people of God, whose job is it to care? Well, what's the easy answer? The pastor. It's his job to care. That's why we pay him. He's the primary caregiver around here. He's paid to answer his phone night and day. He's paid to drop everything and to to rush to a home uh, of someone who's hurting or to the hospital bed of an infirmed person or someone who is heading on in to go undergo surgery. Is, Is someone in need of food? Call the pastor. Pastor should get some food to that person. Is someone in need of prayer? Call the pastor. Pastor, we we need to be praying for this person. Someone in need of godly counsel, call the pastor. Someone in need of correction, call the pastor. Someone struggling, hey, hey, pastor, I just wanted you to know that so-and-so is struggling. I think you probably should do something about that. For many pastors and churches, this is the reality of care within the congregation. The expectation to this question, who cares, is plain and simple. The pastor cares. That's his job. Well, that may be the reality among many churches and pastors. It does beg the question, how would the Bible answer that same question? How would the Bible answer the question of in the body, in the church, who cares? Because we're Bible people, right? We believe the Bible to be true. We stand on the word of God. And is it possible that the model that I outlined where the pastor is the default go-to is actually more of a product of our Western customer service checkout counter mentality than it is a biblical idea? When Jesus teaches us to pray, how does he begin? Our father, he doesn't begin with my father. 
He begins with our father. Interesting. And when Paul talks about the Lord, does, does he say my Lord or our Lord? He's 53 times he says our Lord. One time he says my Lord. Did you know that the words personal Lord and Savior do not appear in the Bible? You ever heard that said? Accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. It sounds good. It fits really well together. It's not biblical. It's not in there, at least. Not those words. Personal Lord and Savior. It's nowhere. The Bible is far more communal than it is individual. The Bible is far more communal than it is individual. I promise you, uh, my perspective has changed even in the last five years of studying the Bible on this topic. And I firmly believe it now more than ever that the Bible speaks far more about the community of saints, the people of God, than it does about the individual Christian. And what that tells us is that as the people of God, we belong to each other. We belong to each other. Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, he begins with this. Therefore I... The prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. And there's a key word right there in that first verse that should cause all of us good Bible students to stop. And it's that first word. Therefore. Therefore. Because if you see a therefore, it points back to what is there before. And so it leaves us wondering, what was there before he said, therefore? And so I want to summarize really quickly for you chapter three, chapter three of the book of Ephesians. In chapter three, Paul begins by describing his role as an apostle to the Gentiles. He explains that he was given this task by the grace of God and that the mystery of Christ was revealed to him. And the mystery, as Paul describes it, is that Jesus Christ... And through him, that the Gentiles are actually co-heirs. Bethany read that scripture earlier from Galatians, a a parallel scripture. The Gentiles are actually co-heirs, members of the same body and shares in the promise of God in Christ. That they're not separate people. It's not a new religion of Gentile faith that's added to the Gentile faith. But this is one body. And that God is growing a family but not with folks who are just like the first Jewish believers. These these new folks who are gonna be joining the family, sorry to break it to you, they're completely different than you. It's gonna get weird. It's gonna get funky because these new people, they eat different things than you do. And these new people, they talk very differently than you do. And their customs, man, they're so foreign to your Jewish way of life. It's going to get weird, but they're in the family now. Co-heirs with you. We got to figure this thing out. That in a nutshell is Ephesians and the book of Galatians. (laughs) It's going to get weird. Let's figure this out. Paul talks about his mission to preach to the Gentiles what he says is the incalculable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, both Jew and Gentile, 
that this is what God was doing in Christ. In other words, the mystery that, that Galatians is filled with, that he, he was going out to preach this mystery, the mystery was that God was going to bring the Gentiles into the faith. He was going to bring those other folks, those pagans, those weirdos, he was gonna bring them in to the faith. That was the mystery that God had always planned to do. And then Paul ends the chapter, chapter three, with a prayer for for the people in Ephesus. And here's what the prayer says, and this is gonna lead us right back to that therefore. The prayer is this. For this reason, all of that that I just said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That sounds good. That sounds really good to be filled up with, to the fullness of who God is, being rooted and established in love. And Paul says that I need God, I need God, I'm praying, God, grant you a strengthened inner being through the spirit and the fact that Christ is dwelling within you These are the same experiences, this this strengthening inner being and Christ dwelling in you. And that the required attitude of the heart to receive this is faith. That you by faith can receive this strengthening and indwelling of Christ if you believe and receive him. And then he says, now being rooted and firmly established in love, remember this, in Christ, we've come to know and believe the love that is from God for us. In Christ, we've come to believe the love that is from God for us and that God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. First John chapter four. And so we're firmly established in love because Christ is in us and therefore our roots have sunk deep into this love that is ours in, in Christ. We get to know the love of God. And so he says, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, the depth of God's love. The truth, the depth, the height, the width of God's love, Christ's love, the fullness of God, he says, cannot be apprehended by an individual in isolation, but only together with all the saints. Let's say that one more time. The truth, the depth, the height, the width of God's love, Christ's love for us, the fullness of God cannot be apprehended by an individual in isolation, but only together with all the saints. Only together with all the saints. If you are a Christian, you can grow in understanding and in strength only as you possess and use for the benefit of others in the body of Christ, 
the various giftings that his spirit has given you. You cannot grow in isolation. You cannot grow loving yourself in a corner. You can only grow in the body of Christ as you use the gifts he's given to love others. To love others. To care for others. And it's after that, after he says all that, that Paul then says in chapter four, therefore, in light of all of that, in view of this, walk worthy of the calling you have received. What do you think it looks like to walk worthy of the calling to be incorporated into the body of Christ and to use the gifting that God gives to bless and care and love for others so that we can all together experience the fullness of who God is. Something we cannot experience in isolation on our own or just with a few of us. We need all of us. And then Paul says, walk worthy of that calling. He says, that's a huge calling. That's a big deal. You wanna walk through your life, your, your Christian faith as an infant and never receive maturity, grow to maturity or have the fullness of Christ? Well, then stay disconnected. But there's a danger you might die out there. But you want to see and experience the fullness of love? You think it's awesome that Christ died for you and that he forgave your sins and you think the story of the gospel is pretty cool? Well, it only gets cooler and better and more awesome as you spend time in the fellowship learning to use those gifts and loving one another because the Bible says only there can we begin to experience the fullness of God's love for us. Only there. I'm going to say that over and over again because I think some people just don't hear it. Only there. There's no other place. (laughs) There's no other way. The Bible has given us this glorious truth. And if the calling is to welcome in these newcomers to the faith in the book of Ephesians, welcome in these newcomers, these weirdos, and to be strengthened by his indwelling in order that you may work together with the people of God to fully comprehend his love. And the only way you can work together to fully comprehend God's love is to work together to love one another and to care for one another. There's no other way. People cannot fully comprehend the love of God in Christ until we each play our part by caring for others according to our gifts and abilities that God has given us. We can't know the fullness of God's love unless you show up. I can't know the fullness of God's love unless you show up. And you could go around this room and say that of everyone else in this room. I can't know the fullness of God's love for me unless you show up to show me, to demonstrate it, to put it on the line and care. Then I can begin to know the fullness and begin to comprehend the fullness of love that I have in Christ. Ephesians tells us that there are four attitudes that Paul says are important to us to walk worthy of this calling. And those attitudes are humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. Humility, gentleness, patience and forbearance. We're going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to ask you, why do you think these attitudes are important to our calling? 
Why do you think it's important that we have these attitudes of humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance? Anyone? This is the attitude of Christ towards us. Anyone else? Community gives us a realistic view of ourselves. That humility, yes. Yes. Anyone else? Why, why? Why do you think these attitudes are important to our calling? Chris? Yeah. That's it. They're, they're all relational, aren't they? You, you don't need humility if you're all by yourself in isolation and there's no one else in the whole universe. Be as proud as you want. Because pride is elevating yourself above others and looking down on them and thinking yourself better than or more than you ought to. If there's no one else, have at it. But humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance, all are relational. They all relate to how we relate to one another. And if you live alone, well, you don't need those. But for this kingdom thing, this people of God thing that he is doing, and in the book of Ephesians where he's saying, hey, there's two groups of people and they're one now, and we gotta work this out, that's, those four qualities, those four attitudes are going to be paramount. Humility, having a right perspective of yourself, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Gentleness, which is also meekness, which has been defined as power under control or knowing who you are, but not utilizing that for your own benefit. Patience and how that relates to forbearance that we have to oftentimes be patient and forbear with one another and their failings. And the other thing that's important to note from this is these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And so Paul is both identifying the fruit of the Holy Spirit and saying that we have to have these attitudes in order for us to see, to live the life worthy of the calling that he's, he's put on us. But we aren't called to be isolated. And, and to fear God means that we recognize that even if I were alone in the Siberian wilderness, all by myself, I'm not actually alone. God is still there. And pride would have me elevate myself even above God. And Paul says, you know what? To answer the call, to live a life worthy of the calling, you'll need these four attitudes equipped because it's gonna take them to interact and have relationship with other people. So the other question that I'll ask you is then, why are these attitudes sometimes difficult for us? What was that? We're self-centered. We fall into the self-centered trap. Anyone else? Say that again. It's hard to be humble. Yep. Yeah. That, that self-centeredness is going to begin to rise up and you're going to say, well, you can't talk that way to me. You can't act that way to me. Don't you know I've been sitting in this pew for the last 600 years? That's my seat. No. <laughs> These require sacrifice. That's, that's great. Yeah. That's great, yeah. 
the example that Christ gave us in these, these attributes and that the Holy Spirit brings to us as believers requires sacrifice because all of this is wrapped up in what we call the word love. And love is, is in its perfect example in Christ. And the kind of love that comes from heaven is not a self-centered love about what I get out of the deal. The kind of love that comes from heaven is repeatedly told to us as a self-giving love. And therefore it is sacrifice because it's always self-giving. Paul says that I remind you that these things are important for you to answer the call and to live a life worthy. How many of you guys want to live a life worthy of the calling you've received? I want to live a life worthy of the calling I've received. Clothe yourself with humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. I want to remind you that Ephesians is not written to the pastor. These aren't marching, are marching orders for the pastor alone. This is to the whole church. And that is why the principles of the scripture pass through Ephesians right to you and right to me. This is your calling and this is mine. And so what does the Bible say about caring for others? What does the Bible tell us? With these, equipped with these attitudes, knowing that we cannot know the fullness of God except in community together as we exercise the giftings and we love one another, knowing that in our minds, what does the Bible say we are, how, how is the Bible, the Bible say that we are to care for one another? I wanna give you really quickly eight ways that the Bible says we are to care for one another. Here we go. We're gonna go fast. Number one, love one another. This is that love thing. One of the most fundamental commands in the Bible is to love others. Jesus summarized the whole law and the prophets by saying it is loving God and it is loving your neighbor in Matthew 22. There's another great passage in Corinthians that says, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all kinds of mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never ends. Number one, we're called to love one another with the patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, kind of love, that self-giving, selfless, not self-centered love. Number two, we are to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Believers are instructed to support each other especially in times of difficulty, especially in times of difficulty. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. You wanna fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love? Carry one another's burdens. 
especially when difficult times come on people. And this totally goes against our pull yourself up with your own bootstraps mentality. Sometimes people have a lot of burdens. <laughs> Sometimes their burdens are physical. Sometimes they're mental. Sometimes they're spiritual. But we care when we carry one another's burdens. And yes, this can get very costly. Very costly. But the example of love that was set by Christ is that of self-giving love even unto death. Giving is always costly. But it is in our individual self-giving that we are able and together to better comprehend the love of God. When we give of ourselves to one another, by bearing one another's burdens, we have a better picture of who God is and how he loves us. We need that lesson over and over again. So thank God for the difficult cases in the church. Thank God for the people with lots of problems because they're just teaching us about God's love for us. Number three, forgive each other. Forgiveness is a key aspect of Christian relationships throughout the Bible, and it's outlined in Colossians 3, 13, where again it says, to bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Because sometimes the burdens that we are called to bear with one another is someone else's sin, To forgive will always cost you something. Forgiveness is when we, when you absorb the debt of the offense that was given to you by someone else. You absorb that debt into yourself and you don't pass it on to the offender. That's what forgiveness is. I will take the pain of the offense and not pass it on to you. This is only possible if you are rooted in the infinitely glorious love of God and you're drawing your life and your security and your significance from him, because if you aren't, we will need someone to pay. Because if they don't pay, a piece of me is missing. A piece of me remains hurt because I have to absorb their pain. But if I am connected, if I'm deeply rooted in the love of God, then I can take someone's offense, absorb that offense, and go wash myself in the fountain of God's love and watch it melt away. And I am no less a person for forgiving. And I can do that seven times, and I could do that seven times 70. And I can do that on and on because Christ did it for me. If he could do it for me and the whole world, he can empower me and strengthen me to forgive. And when we forgive, again, we allow one another to better comprehend the love God has for us. That's what we do. We allow them to experience a deeper level of fullness with Christ every time we forgive. To truly care for one another means we must forgive. And to forgive means we must be securely rooted in God's love and his forgiveness. 
Number four, we must encourage and build each other up. Christians are encouraged to be sources of encouragement. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, some of you guys know this, says, encourage one another and build each other up. But Hebrews 3, which is the one I was thinking of, 3.13, we probably all know to some degree, it says, encourage one another daily as long as today is called today. Encourage one another daily as long as today is called today. But the second half is so killer. It's all, that's my, my speech there, killer. That's awesome. That's good. Why do we do that? Why do we encourage one another daily as long as today is called today? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What? That, well, that's why we encourage? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It says daily. I gotta ask. I gotta ask this of myself. Are you even thinking about the rest of us daily? <laughs> Let alone encouraging us. Is it possible to go through a week without thinking of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Let alone encourage them daily. How are you gonna do that if you don't show up? How are you gonna do that if you don't show up? And what, what happens? What does this, the scripture say? You may become hardened. It also says that God has ordained to help keep your brother and sister from sin through your encouragement. God has ordained to help keep your brother and sister from sin from your encouragement. So when you are not present and daily encouraging, you're depriving your brother or sister of the help that they need to stay out of sin's deceitfulness. Don't do that. No, no. That's bad. Encourage one another daily as long as today is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What happens to you, you if you withhold encouragement or neglect your Christian duty to encourage? The enemy draws a foothold and sin, its deceitfulness, can lead you or your brother or sister astray. To care for one another and to show the glory and fullness of who God is, we encourage and build each other up. Number five, we pray for each other. We pray for each other. We are commanded in the word to pray according to James chapter 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This uh, verse also demonstrates that the power to heal is invested in the prayers we pray, not in the pastors or the elders of the church. Right before it, it does say, if anyone is sick, call on the elders and have them anoint them with oil and pray for them. And there's lots of debate over whether that it was actually a means of healing, as in the elders acted as a doctor role because oil was a medicine at that time, or whether there's a spiritual significance to it. Whatever it is, just a couple sentences later, he then broadens it up. Remember, James is a wisdom book. It's like reading the, pro the Proverbs. And so he goes from saying, call the elders, to just a few verses later saying, everyone. Everyone, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other for your healing. Eight ways that we care, well, one of them is that we pray for each other. Number six, meet each other's needs. Meet each other's needs. 
We already read this in Acts chapter two, the beginning of it, but Acts chapter two, verse 44 and 45, talk about how the early church met the needs of those who were in need. They provided for, they cared for. They shared their possessions and good giving to anyone who was in need. They met each other's needs. Number seven, they show hospitality. To care and to love is to show hospitality. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, to be hospitable to one another and to do it without complaining. I'll say that one again. Be hospitable to one another and do it without complaining. How many of you guys have ever been getting your house ready to have someone over? I can't believe I agreed to this. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Hospitable is about opening our homes and not withholding our space from others. It's about opening our homes and not withholding our space from others. And this is very, very difficult for some people. Some people will go their whole Christian experience and never open their space to others. And the Bible commands us to be hospitable and to do it without grumbling. And if that's you and it's difficult, I'll just remind you of what someone named Kerry Newhoff, he's a leadership guy, what he says. He says, you can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. Oh, my house is too small. They wouldn't want to come over here anyway. Well, open your house to one person at a time. Or maybe bring them onto your front porch at least. The, the gateway into your home. I don't have anything fancy to offer them. Make them a bologna sandwich. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> I'll choke it down. I'll, if that's all you got, I'll choke it down. <laughs> Do you have bread and water? Do you have bread and water? You know how precious that would be to be invited to someone's home who doesn't have much and to be offered bread and water? I don't know about you, but that just, that warms me inside thinking about that. I don't need a fancy meal. I wanna be in relationship with you. I wanna better fully comprehend the glory and wonder of God's love for us by going to your house and spending time with you. But I'm too busy. I'm so busy, I could never open my home. That may be true, but some people are unloved. And do you think your busyness should deprive your brothers and sisters of the debt of love that you owe them in Christ? It shouldn't. Be hospitable. Without complaining, open your home. Don't even clean it before you have them over. It's okay. We'll all make it through. It'll be okay. Hospitality invites others into our life. And it opens up areas of our life that are deeply private to us. And in so, it can become one of the most extraordinary acts of love you show someone, willing to open your home to someone else. And finally, number eight, we teach and we admonish one another. In the book of Corinthians, chapter 3, 16, we are told that Christians are to instruct one another we're to teach one another with all wisdom 
through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music and singing to the Lord. We teach and admonish each other. It's not the job solely of the pastor or the professional. We are to teach one another. And so if you join together here on Sunday mornings and you lift your voice in song, thank you for caring for us. Thank you for teaching and admonishing us with your voice. I would encourage all of us to break out in song in the other places too. Have someone into your home and sing a hymn or sing a hymn in the car ride home or when you're taking someone to go grocery shopping or whatever it is you're doing. Teach, admonish one another. It's part of caring and in doing so, we all get to experience a deeper, more full measure of God's love for us. So I'll close with this. In terms of the question we asked at the beginning, who cares? I think the Bible answer says that it is the responsibility and the duty of every Christian to care. It is a mark of maturity in the faith and it is a visible sign of the fruit of the Holy Spirit for you to care one for another. And that caring includes teaching and showing hospitality and meeting each other's needs and praying for one another and encouraging each other daily and forgiving and bearing each other's burdens and actively loving one another. Ephesians says that it is through these acts of love done by each one of us that together we can better know and understand God's love for us. And as Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples, what? By the love you have one for another. And this means that our self-giving love and our care can be a witness to anyone who sees it. A witness to our Lord and his kind of love, which is self-giving. God's summoning a people to be his new creation, and we are a part of that. And in his new creation, the question is, who cares? Well, the answer is, I do. I do. And that's for each one of you.